0: For the watch. <clears throat> <clears throat>
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Glop Culture, but it's not really Glop Culture. I mean, Goldberg's here. Hey, Jonah, how are you?
2: I'm well, Rob. How are you?
1: I'm doing very well. I'm Rob Long, so I'm the L in the glop part, but we're missing the we're missing the P, frankly. What's a glop without a P? Uh, John Pedoritz is um, uh, uh, on, a, on, a, on a family trip, and we have a W. We have Kevin, Williams, and Kevin, how are you? Well, you know, filling in for John Pedoritz, so uh, as well as can be expected. <laughs> that's right is that a, uh, now you and charlie cook do a great podcast together um so do you, do you feel like you're being is this a promotion is this a demotion is this kind of a lateral move it's what 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 do you what do you how do you square your performance today right now well i think what it actually is is a surprise because i think this was supposed to
3: be uh Charlie's uh podcast with me today and then Charlie failed to show up. He's on an airplane somewhere. So now I'm stuck with you guys. So, um, you know, it's like, uh, it's like, it's like Rorschach says in that great prison scene. uh, I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here
2: with me. (laughs) Already, already Jonah. It's a different tone. It really is. It really is. I was going to say, it reminds me of that great episode of cheers, a show Rob knows a little bit about where they go to the bowling alley. And, Norm goes into the bar at the bowling alley, and all the guys from Cheers here, the guys at the bowling alley bar, yell, Norm! <laughs> and he comes back out, and they're like, what, you know the guys here, too? And he says, hey, guys, come on. It's I, I have a life, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, you know, it's a cameo right. by Williamson here a at, at a different Williams. bar. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, Glop Culture, I should say before we get started, is brought to you by The Great Courses. The Great Courses, celebrating their 25th anniversary, offer lecture series in over 500 subjects, including history, science, art, music, and cooking. And by Casper Premium Mattresses, premium mattresses for a fraction of the price, delivered to your door. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing that savings directly to... The Consumer, which is I guess where the, all the savings should go, it is also a production of Ricochet.com. Ricochet.com is a fast-growing membership conversation site on – about uh, for and among the center right on the web. Check us out, Ricochet.com. we got a lot of great podcasts. You can subscribe to all of them uh, using the Superfeed thingy. So go to Ricochet.com and do it uh, and then check us out and then we hope you will want to join and join the conversation. Anyway, so – um, I am here with two uh, of Donald Trump's blood enemies. I couldn't get you out of home. <laughs> Kevin, what happened? What do you mean, what happened? Well,
3: how, how did you fall off the reservation? Was I on the Trump reservation <laughs> at some point? <laughs> all, right,
1: all right, here's what I really want to know. Cause Cause I know I,
2: was... I, I, I used to drink a lot, so that, that might be possible. <laughs> well, okay, here's what I mean. It, that should be a great New Yorker cartoon, a guy waking up horribly hungover. What did <laughs> I do last night? Oh, my God, I endorsed Donald Trump. Yeah, that's right.
1: Or or, or the opposite. Right. Um, So I guess what I mean is it's less about Trump that it's about Rush.
3: Yeah. So actually, I didn't I didn't hear the Rush segment where he read my piece, but, um, you know, he was he was laughing about it. He seemed amused by it. So, you know, Rush was a little bit critical um, in what I thought was kind of a dumb way, uh, which is not usual for Rush. I, I like his show quite a bit and he's usually pretty, pretty apt and deft. But saying, you know, why doesn't Williamson ever go after uh, Democrats and liberals this way? And, <laughs> you know, if there's one thing I'm known for, it's being soft on people. And, uh, and he happened to say this right when I had this, you know, Bernie Sanders cover coming out. So, um, yeah, Trump is, uh, you know, he's a buffoon. Uh, he's a guy who doesn't really know very much. Um, I'm not even sure he's all that good of a businessman. Uh, I mean, how do you screw up a casino it's just a license to take money from dumb people yeah. i mean it's it's one step up from being you know a mugger in a neighborhood full of not very smart folks um being the biggest loser in Atlantic City is a hard thing to do you know <laughs> that's that's no uh, that's no mean feat so um but you know he's he really bothers me in a lot of ways it's you know sort of populist pose and his little trump and fans talking about the elites here against him i mean so you know, I'm a guy from Lubbock, Texas. Trump is a gazillionaire, Manhattan-born real estate heir who inherited 27,000 New York City properties from his father. Yeah, self-made man. Tell me more about it.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess what I mean is, is is that where we are now, where people are – people say, hey, why don't you go after – why don't you ever go after anybody? You know, you shouldn't go after people on our team. Right. Like we're all yeah, a if, team if, and you can't – Yeah,
3: If it were my team, that might – Hold some water with me. <laughs> yeah, but. I don't
1: know. I don't want to see your team. Your team's gonna be weird. Uh, Jonah, do you ever get that? Oh, sure. But this is this
2: is this is a perennial problem at at, at National Review, right? That because mm-hmm. um, we get it coming and going. We get it from people saying, Why aren't you doing a better job of policing your own side? Which is something that we've always taken really seriously. And we also get how dare you attack. One of our guys, the other side, they always rally around their guys. um, And here we are, you know, cannibalizing each other. I mean, the grief we got after we did the um, after Mark Stein did that fantastic cover story on on Newt Gingrich. And I like Newt. My wife worked for Newt. I have a good relationship with Newt. But we were uh, editorially, corporately against Newt being the nominee for the the Republican Party. Um, I'm not sure in retrospect it was as bad an idea as we as it it might have. (laughs) You know, but let's not revisit all that. Um, but uh, you know, I mean, longtime friends of National. I mean, Brent Bozell made an ass of himself, and I'm friends with Brent Bozell denouncing National Review. Are uh, you know Ben Dominic? You know, compared to you know, use that line from Batman saying you know, uh, want to either die. We live too long to die a hero, so we're gonna. Uh, see ourselves become the villain. I mean, all of these sort of. I mean, it's amazing how often this happens, and it's happened in 2008. It happened in two. I mean, it happened every every year, or certainly every election cycle since I came on at National Review in 1999. And I'm sure, and I know for a fact, it's been going on since the, at least the 1960s. Um, and I have I, I yeah. have very little patience for it. I mean, I, I'm why sort of with, to, Ke-
1: why I'm with Kevin never... on this.
2: Like, I, I yeah. think Kevin and I have proven our – credibility as people who are actually conservatives, you know, what or at least whatever the
1: hell Kevin is.
3: Um, but like, I feel, the idea like somehow- I feel
1: like I agree, I agree, John. I think you and Kevin and I have proven that. I don't think <laughs> exactly, <yeah. laughs> especially
3: you. You're, you're, Jonah, what I think about that what's going on there is sort of like um it's sort of like the Pope and the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. You know, the Southern Baptists are a big uh congregation, they're, you know, a good group of people, but when there's going to be a new president of the Southern Baptist Convention, people don't sit around and stay up at night watching television to see who it's going to be. You know, it's not going to be on the front page of the newspaper the next day. National Review, to that sense, is sort of like the Pope on our side of things, that even people who don't disagree with us uh, care about what we have to say about things. We are seen as being a sort of a keeper of the keys in a way. So, for the same reason that people who aren't Catholic have really, really strong opinions about you know what the uh, what the Catholic Church says about X, Y, and Z, people who aren't you know, normally National Review readers or National Review type conservatives get all bent out of shape when we do stuff in a way that they wouldn't, you know, with well, with whatever Ben Dominic's doing these days.
2: Yeah, no, but, in but, a lot of ways, but we're you guys are. I sort of like, heard, but, I mean, sort of like be, the New York Times in that yeah. way. You know. Yeah, sure. Yeah. People freak out about the, my dad. Part of his a lifelong passion was fuming about the New York times and it was because he liked it so much that it's ideological nonsense drove him crazy. And, or it's, 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 and I think people feel in a similar way about national review. I don't think we have ideological nonsense, but whenever we deviate from what they expect us to do, they get really
1: pissed off. But isn't it weird though? Two things. One, you guys, I mean, I mean, Kevin, you were in New York for a while. You're not in New York now. But, I mean, NR is kind of sort of a Bedouin organization. Everybody's kind of all spread out, right? Yeah. Um, (laughs) It isn't like you guys get together in some – I mean, I hope not because I'm not invited. Uh, Although I I, I think in your position, I wouldn't invite me either. But, like, you don't get together in a big wooden panel library and say, yes, swirling brandy. Now we're going after Newt while Rich Lowry strokes his cat. I mean – there
3: is oh. a lot of that, you know, conspiracy sort of stuff. Like I read the comments a lot because I'm an idiot and <laughs> yeah, I, I spend a lot of time. That reading. Is, and I, and I, that is and the I,
1: definition I, of that. Yes. I
3: argue with people in the comments section and they think that, you know, that we're basically organized as a cabal and that we're thinking, you know, seven steps ahead. So, you know, Kevin Williamson was criticizing Ron Paul so that two years now he can come out in favor of Rand Paul and make <laughs> it look. Like, and guys, I don't think one day ahead of my work typically unless I have to buy <laughs> plane tickets.
2: Yeah. yeah what's well, it's just, funny. That- there's, you can sing it sort of round, you can sing it flat. Go ahead. There's sure. sort of a Marxist mode of analysis to so many of these things. Yeah. You know, the, the Marxists always used to say, it is no coincidence that, right? And then point out some obvious coincidence that was, you know, actually that they yeah. thought was some sort of conspiracy. We get this sort of, it's no coincidence that Kevin Williamson. Left on a plane for Nevada on a Tuesday, you know, um, <laughs> as if there's some – it's all part of some grand plan.
1: I would be pa- getting paid a lot more if we were that good at that It's no coincidence <laughs> that Jonah's not getting paid a lot. Um, <laughs> but OK, the second thing is I'd say, isn't it weird that, that these touch points are always over kind of weird, fringe, very polarizing figures uh, uh, who uh, who often – require their detractors to say things like well listen i admire some of the things x or y has done and said but i believe that x or y may be clinically insane right. yeah. that's kind of what we say about newt although i again i admire the things he said i, I wonder about the just this, his stability, the same thing with Sarah Palin, the same thing with Donald Trump and always – whenever you go after those people, that's the argument you get. Why are you going after them? You shouldn't go after them. You should go after the other side as if we're all kind of like – you know, that, that's, that's our job is to constantly go after the other side. I mean, are there any other people who you thought, well, here's a normal person that I didn't really uh, – that I, I criticized that, that, that wasn't, wasn't in that weird gray zone of potentially insane?
3: You know, let me say say this first, though. I, I'm, a, I'm a Newt fan, and maybe a little bit more than you guys are, but I think Newt's job is that um, Newt should be kept on a chain in the White House basement uh, with a couple of desks and a couple of interns down there, and he can spit out his 200 ideas that he has every day, and the interns can write them down, and some responsible person not named Gingrich can go through them and pick out the one that's not entirely insane that he comes up with every day and pass that up the chain and throw the rest of them away. I mean, news problem is that he um, so, so you, you, doesn't speaking know his a good fan. ideas from his
1: bad ideas. What's that? So you're speaking as a fan. That's a fan. That's a type race for me. It's a fan talking. Okay. Well, see, the great wanna... the great
2: thing about Kevin's idea, though, is all you would need to do to do that is take the room with the existing chains and slots for the interns that Bill Clinton <laughs> left behind and just that's... retrofit it for intellectual pursuits. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. You know, maybe um, –
3: you know, a, a more comfortable chair instead of that weird swing thing
2: that Clinton did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh. but let's get back to, I mean, let, 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 in all fairness, okay. right, uh, Newt, you know, there was a 5% chance that Newt, if elected president, would be exactly the great world historical figure that he thought he was, mm-hmm. right? There was a 95% chance that he would chew through his leash and go crazy um, in the White House, but, um, I mean, the, the risk-reward was very high with him, Um Donald Trump is a different figure altogether. There is zero chance that he could be a world historical statesman. Um, there is, he is playing people for suckers in a way that infuriates me um, simply because there are some decent people who, who have just simply been seduced by his shtick. And um, the idea that somehow he should be treated like even a fringe candidate I just think is ridiculous, Um, and 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 the and I I I have zero patience for people who say he's just saying things that other people won't say, and he's really speaking to the heart and all that kind of stuff. And some of my friends have written columns along those lines. That all may be true, but he's a fraud. He is a con artist. He is a creature. You know, it's sort of like someone raised in the fighting pits you know in, in game of thrones he has a skill set And that's why i think kevin's absolutely right he's a quintessential creature of one of the least free market sectors of new york city he's learned how to game the system by bribing politicians which he admitted um, and somehow he's going to lecture people about how capitalism works you know he just it, he's a fraud and he just needs to sort of be pelted from the public stage yeah, I, I can't imagine
3: what the best case scenario is with Trump. Like we know what the best case Gingrich scenario is, that five percent. What is the right. best case scenario with Trump?
1: Yeah, I don't <laughs> it's <laughs> Do we got even a lot of gold on it? it. It's it's got a lot of <laughs> <laughs> glitter, I think. Whatever it is. It's got it's gold. You know what my favorite
3: thing about his his thing about gilding is? Um I'm a big fan of this awful movie called uh, The Devil's Advocate, which I have often argued is sort of the platonic ideal of B-movies. You know, it's Al Pacino, Keanu Reeves, where he works for this law firm that's run by Satan. And there's a guy in the movie called uh, Cullen, who's one of the people they have to defend, who's a corrupt New York City real estate developer who's murdered one of his wives. And,
2: uh, Let's not throw stones. You know,
3: he's clearly a little bit based on Donald Trump, mm-hmm. and they actually talk Trump into letting shoot... One of the scenes in his hideous apartment <laughs> to uh, to drive home the point that this is a joke about Donald Trump, and everyone got it except Donald Trump apparently. So um, when the movie came out, someone wrote a review of it that said uh, something about the sets, and this was just unbelievable. No human being would live in a place that looked like this, and it turns out it was actually um, Trump's real house.
2: Yeah, he he's a low class person's idea of what a classy person is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he is like. What, what, what? People who don't know what it's it, it sort of like. It, it, it's sort of the gauche version of what Richie Rich is, um, and that's his brand is selling.
1: Um, yeah, but isn't that, isn't that rude, part of their idea okay. of
2: what upscale is? Not what but aren't you now, is
1: upscale. Aren't you now playing on his? On, on, isn't this kind of feeding into his shtick here, which is that the uh, the Acela elites. Uh, in their, um, you know, NPR tote bag world, uh, they don't like the fact that he likes things a little bright and garish. Big deal, like you know, he earned that money. Um, Did he? He likes a little. He likes Did a little. Sh- okay, <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> <laughs> um, so there is. I mean, I, 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 certainly, I certainly agree with you guys about him, but I, I also feel like there is something disquieting. Maybe I am just easily disquieted, but or not disquieting, significant about the class argument. And that there is this emerging uh, Donald Trump does seem to be a product of of uh, Charles Murray's fish town uh it's, it's he's the fishtown's politician and we don't I mean you know I, I'm not sure I haven't yet heard Scott Walker or Marco Rubio uh, or, or win over that constituency I mean and they're gonna someone's gonna someone's gonna have to the next president certainly is going to. Um, that's who that's who decides elections. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the Peckerwood trash vote is not to be discounted.
3: But as a wise man once said, the reason they call it the heartland is because the brain's not there. <laughs> oh, man. I'm so, not going wh- there. Yeah. Now, <laughs> just, to, just
1: just 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 to absolutely. You are from Lubbock, Texas. I am indeed. Yes. OK um just so send all your hate mail a little bit texas and I'm, uh,
2: I, I am from a stone's throw from where donald trump grew up <laughs> but <laughs> um i like the heartland um but uh maybe maybe kevin would argue i'm just sort of nostalgizing stuff that i don't, I don't know oh, well, i mean about. you know i actually live there so
3: you know i spend some time around uh the you know the world outside of uh Of D.C. and and New York and all that. And it's all fine. I like it very much. Don't get me wrong. And there's some good people out there. But um, (laughs) you don't want them running things. You just really don't. You know, I mean, go to Lubbock, Texas for a month and talk to everyone you meet and tell me which of those people you want running things.
2: You just don't. Sorry. So do you reject the Bill Buckley proposition of the first 500 names in the Boston phone book? Well, it's not the Lubbock phone book. But um, (laughs) – (laughs)
3: Uh, yeah i kind of do actually i'm uh this is going to sound funny to say for you know someone who basically you grew up a stone's throw from donald trump i grew up a stone's throw from a trailer park but i may be a little bit more of an elitist than bill was um you know bill for all of his uh aristocratic background and interests was in a sense a populist you know Mm -hmm. he was uh, sort of rallying the uh, people against the uh, the faculty of, of Yale and Harvard and all that. I have a good deal less trust in the people.
2: Well, it's funny you say that. I'm against pop. I don't like populism. Uh, at least I was 100% against populism, wrote against populism mm. uh, until the Tea Parties came up. And then that was the first to my memory. And I got problems with what's what happening with some of the Tea Parties. But I like, you know, this is the first time we've ever seen a mass, essentially libertarian populist movement you know they want to storm the barricades um and leave america leave people alone which i thought was a really wonderful change from the history of populism um Mm -hmm. but i'm not against i am not necessarily against elitism i'm against the current elite um and i think that there's there's a right you know every other realm of life we talk about elite doctors elite soldiers you know um, elite drivers, you know, normally that, that it's not a pejorative. The problem yeah. is, is, with the size of government, the elites have basically decided it's basically the Schumpeterian new class that wants to run our lives. And that's what, that's the elite I want to get rid of. Right.
3: Elite in elite the sense of being a, a
1: homonym for thieves.
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, uh, speaking of elite, most of you listening to this podcast are lifelong learners, Just like us, except for Kevin. Uh, And that's the motivation behind The Great Courses, the engaging video and audio lectures from top professors, elite professors, on a wide variety of subjects, probably elite subjects. The Great Courses has a collection of lecture series geared towards professionals that we recommend, including scientific secrets for a powerful memory. I can't remember anything. How Conversation Works, like this one. Art of Public Speaking. Uh, that actually would be really good. Influence, Mastering Life's Most p- Powerful Skill. That's kind of a Donald Trumpian thing but also great courses about you know, classics, history, that kind of thing. These lecture series offer great tools and insights for anyone looking to improve their recall at work, hone their presentation skills, become better negotiator, kind of Trumpian in a way. Um, I like the ones that are uh, – so the, all the courses that I didn't take in college that I should have or I took in college and slept through. Um, it really does replace um, a lot of, but uh, it, it does replace books on tape for me. So, uh, the Great Courses is celebrating the 25th anniversary. They offer their lecture series in over 500 subjects: history, science, art, music, cooking. Available in DVDs, CDs, streaming, digital downloads, or the Great Courses apps. They got an app now, which is great. For a limited time. The Great Courses has a special offer for Glop Culture or I guess Glow Culture listeners. Order any of these four business and presentation courses for just nine ninety five. This special price of nine ninety five is only available for a limited time. So order today. Go to thegreatcourses.com slash glop. That's thegreatcourses.com – thegreatcourses, all one word, dot com slash glop. That's thegreatcourses.com slash glop. Uh, and um we've already got heard from from uh, a bunch of people who've been taking these classes and they're great i mean i don't know do you guys ever do any of that do you ever ever like on a long drive or on a commute listen to a- listen to a course you you, you should have taken in college or is it just i have know? actually yeah. which one i have two uh cognitive science okay that's not doesn't sound that interesting <laughs> <laughs> um
2: i i um this next book that I'm working on um i Got the Great Courses uh, thing on, I think it's called Thinking About Capitalism with Jerry Mueller. Um, oh, yeah. And it's, a, it's great. You know, it sort of just walks you through. I and mean, I know a lot about a, some of that stuff and some about a lot of that stuff, but it was very useful for me to have it in the sort of chronological, sequential order right. um, to put it all together. And it was very useful. I, I liked it a lot. And Mueller's books are great. Um,
1: Jonah, you go on a road trip every year, right? At least. Yes. And, yeah, and, so, and I'm, I'm about to embark on one. Uh, I'm taking the southern route, uh, Route 10, back to L.A. You, you, you end up going up north, right? So you end up taking a northern, more northern
2: route? Um, yeah, we haven't done the drive to the Pacific Northwest in a while, in a couple of years, but I've probably done it in one way or another about, uh, I don't know, 10 times in the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and one year we actually drove from Fairbanks to D.C., Fairbanks, Alaska. Holy is- moly. A real drive, um, and uh, yeah. So we usually do some version, one of the nor- more northern routes. Um, one year we did go through Texas. It was, um, I think, the term for it is hot.
0: Yes, um, <laughs> it takes it
2: takes seven days to drive through Texas. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the place that kicks your ass is northern Montana, um, just because it's so long. I mean, you just it's it's like impossible to cross it in a day. And every time we do it, I. Drive my wife crazy with the same jokes because the GPS will say, "In five hundred and seventy-five miles, <laughs> stay straight." <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, why do you ask,
1: Rob? Uh, I only asked for this, Ke- Kevin, and, and and you and you are now somewhere in the in the the, the heartland right now, uh, in the Mojave Desert. Oh, right at the moment, I'm in Texas, where it's All about right. one hundred and eighty-five degrees. Yes, you're right. You know you're in Texas when you're, Just drive until your clothes catch on fire And then you're in Texas uh, So do you consider Texas
3: the south? Well I was just thinking about that actually Because I'm in, I'm in Houston right now and That is the south Houston is a very southern city You know Houston, Beaumont, Port Arthur mm-hmm. Places like that are Distinctively southern cities Now where I'm from, Lubbock you know, it's geographically more like Kansas. It's, uh, culturally more like, say, Santa Fe or Eastern New Mexico. So, you know, in the, in West Texas and the panhandle, the South doesn't really, um, exercise that kind of cultural pull. So, you know, we're a lot more like, more in the orbit of, say, Boulder than we are of, you know, Denver or, I mean, of, uh, say Atlanta or, or someplace in the South. So I grew up in a, you know, Confederate state that doesn't feel very much. Like mm-hmm. a southern state, and of course, um, if we're going to be talking about the flag and all that, the uh, the racial stuff in West Texas is very very different from the way it is, say in you know Beaumont. Uh, simply because, I mean, the real racial divide there isn't black and white; it's it's Anglo and Hispanic. Um, historically, there weren't enough African Americans in West Texas for anyone to get terribly excited about. Um, same reason there's not a lot of, you know, anti Semitism in a place like Lubbock. Uh, there's like four Jewish families, so you know, people don't just you know, you're not running into enough Jews to develop any, enough, you know, bad attitudes about it.
1: But is enough, I gotta before's, say. Yeah. As an Episcopal force enough to form an opinion. I guess it maybe. Force
2: enough to keep out of the country club where Rob grew up.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, you know <laughs> force enough for them to have their own really nice country club, Joan. It just, it's just just as nice as just across the road. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, yeah. So it's 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 very unsouthern where I'm from. Mm-hmm. Uh. Well, since you brought it up, I I, I did Red Eye last night, and we we're talking about it. Um,
2: oh, with the new uh, guy,
1: right? The new guy, Tom Chaloux. Yeah, it was it was his first show. He did a good job. It was it was How nice. You know? they, it went really well. They sort of returned. They they sort of returned some old Red Eye institutions. If you if you if if if, if, if you could call something that happened on a show at 3 a.m for several years in institution then they went back to some of those which I thought was good. Uh, and Tom's a nice guy and he kind of you know he's got a very light touch and he added a little interview se- uh, segment in there. So it's it's a nice it's a nice show. It's kind of a refreshing old friend I thought. They did a good job. Um, we talked about the flag. And uh, of course because it's a topic and you have to talk about the topic. Uh, but but what was interesting to me was how how hard it was for anyone to get too exercised about it. Um even Camille Foster, who's a, a African American, who's like, ah, I don't really care, uh, and yet I know people in Mississippi who get very upset about it, and um, not on the on the keep the flag side, but on a, on the take the take that take the battle flag part of the of the state flag down. I mean, do you does it do you does this feel kind of like a strange cultural thing where facing the death of nine people, which is a serious thing, we suddenly are talking about flag that's not even part of the South Carolina state flag. It's just flying in a place. Is it me, only me, who thinks that, how strange it is?
3: Yeah, you kind of have to give it a little credit to the left on this stuff where their argument, if you put it in actual words, would never stand which is, something bad happened in the world. You must give us something we want that's totally unrelated. But that's what they did after, say, the financial crisis where they started saying, well, we had a financial crisis, therefore we need student loan reform. Nothing to do with it. So, you know, I'm not a great fan of the impulse that led Fritz Holling and the rest of the Democrats to hoist the Confederate flag in 1962. Um, I think it, 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 there's a couple things going on with the Confederate flag. I mean, one, yes, is it is a symbol of sort of Southern revanchism and that sort of, you know, uh, low-class Southern racism as opposed to high-class Northern racism. But, um, it's both things. It's both a racist symbol. It's also a symbol of regional apartness and uniqueness, and that's one of the reasons why the left hates it, because it's a regional cultural variation they don't like very much, uh, not in, only for reasons having to do with, uh, you know, nasty ancient racial attitudes. You know, when I was a kid, um, you know, the southern flag as a symbol of being, you know, sort of a rebel uh, you know, it's kind of a general redneck symbol was fairly common and I can distinctly remember, you know, seeing seeing black eyes wearing, you know, Confederate flag, mm-hmm. uh baseball caps and things like that in West Texas. Now maybe not so much anymore, but whatever it stands for, and it stands for a lot of different things, none of those things was the reason that, that idiot shot those poor people in that right. church. Right.
2: Yeah, I mean I, I'm I, I'm entirely with Kevin on this. I, I think that this is Um, This is the politics of revenge, um, and it's so ugly um, what the left is doing. I mean, CNN had reporters going around calling Walmart and Kmart and Amazon asking under the pretense of journalism, are you going to now discontinue carrying any products with the Confederate flag on it? Um, You know, that is activism wearing a very thin mask of... uh, of journalism, and it's all so transparent. I mean, what what really galls me is the bravery and the righteousness on the cheap that you get from some of, some of these people. Um, I have a column about it, at the LA Times today about this. But uh, you know, Sally Jenkins wrote this piece for the Washington Post, saying that the Confederate flag is the American swastika, and it's no different than flying a Nazi flag over a Holocaust memorial, and. It is just – it is so transparently stupid and lazy for people to say things like that. Um, you know, the last poll they took in South Carolina, 61 percent of black, of blacks in South Carolina wanted to get rid of the flag. That means somewhere up to – close to 40 percent of blacks in South Carolina felt differently. Um, doesn't mean that they all love the Confederate flag, but maybe they just sort of understood that it's part of the culture – To say – to suggest that they are like Jews happy to live under a Nazi flag is insane. And yet that is exactly the way these people – you know, Michael Tomasky, who you know I think is one of the most overrated liberal pundits out there, had this piece for the Daily Beast last year where he just says the entire South is a useless nuclear wasteland of bigotry and racism and racial resentment, right? Well – how does that viewpoint, which I think is very common among liberals today, how does that viewpoint square with the fact that, first of all, that church where that shooting happened was full of white people? That bridge where they were holding hands, black people and white people, was full of the very southerners that these people just simply write off. And most right. of all, you know, Paul Krugman, who I know Kevin has very strong feelings about, um, <laughs> had this absolutely – classically asinine column where he thought this was the perfect moment to make this case that the states that rejected medicaid expansion under (laughs) obama did so because of a legacy because they were slave holding states and they hate black people now i you read this kind of commentary all over the place and yet no one ever bothers to note the fact that black people by the millions have been moving back to the south over the last 15 That's years.
1: That's right. That's right. right? The Great Migration
2: movement. is being reversed as we speak, and they're leaving all of these crappy blue state cities that liberals have screwed up to exactly go live right. down there. They wouldn't be reuniting with their family. If, if, if word was out that actually, oh, no, don't come down here, these are hotbeds of racism, they wouldn't be doing that. It is this entirely strawman, imaginary argument conceived of smug, lazy coastal liberals who want to have, you know, It's uh, the other day, uh, Glenn Reynolds had this thing where he said, you know, it's amazing. When the South was solidly democratic, there was all of this gone with the wind nostalgia. Now that the South is not racist, <laughs> but also isn't democratic, it is the locus of evil in the modern world. And it is just so transparently glib and lazy and mercenary on their part. And it drives me crazy.
3: Yeah, I was thinking about that this morning. Uh, you In know, 1971, that famous uh, cultural reactionary Joan Baez <laughs> had a huge hit with uh, The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down. Oh,
0: but, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, that's, I mean, it, what is amazing is how quickly we become oversensitive to things. I mean, I, I said this last night on the show, like, it, one of the biggest hits on television in the 60s was Hogan's Heroes. Yeah. And a bunch of people walking around as a Gestapo guy there and they're all wearing Nazi armbands and it was getting on that. This was in the 60s. So if you were a 40-year-old watching this show, you fought in World War II. Yeah. This was barely 20 years, barely 20 years after the liberation of Europe, the liberation of Auschwitz.
2: Right. Yeah, right.
1: (laughs) And and, and somehow it kind of worked and people laughed. They thought it was funny uh, and they got it. They understood it. They weren't. Walking around with sort of prickly sensitive all the time, their, their antenna tuned to the next big outrage and also the next big way they can they can turn some outrage into into an actual bizarre policy gain. I mean I, just the past eight or nine days have been an insane cultural mess. I mean, you start with this crazy lady, Rachel Dolezal, who, a white girl who thinks she's black. And then on TV said she's not even sure her parent her white parents are really her parents. You know that she yeah. needs proof. And then we had then this horrible thing in Charleston, which quickly devolved into an uh, argument about the flag and about uh, uh, I guess Medicare. And then and then we had then yesterday or two days ago, uh, uh, Barack Obama, President of the United States, appears on a podcast, which is its own weird thing. Now the president's on a podcast. I mean. Who would demean themselves to appear on a podcast? That's yeah. kind of the most amazing <laughs> thing. Have- yeah, if they, they didn't, yeah. They literally had no other options, right? And he uses the N word. Yeah. And people freak. <sighs> well, yeah, who,
3: who wants to be the first one to jump into that? Race? Yeah.
1: Uh, Kevin, <laughs> you're going to jump
2: in. <laughs> All you, Jonah, go ahead. I, I, but that's the thing. I mean, Charlie Cook and I both talked, noted this at the time. I mean, like, I, I um. I had so many more problems with other things that he said than his use of the N word. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I mean, his using the N word in the context in which he was speaking was absolutely correct and, or at least, totally defensible. And it's weird. I mean, there was uh, early in the day in Fox News, it seemed like they were trying to get up ahead of steam to turn this into an outrageous thing. But um, and they had some people on to debate it, and it just kind of didn't go no didn't go anywhere. And by the end, by the middle of the day. The only people who were freaking out about it, and I listened to the Josh Ernest press conference, press briefing, were a bunch of liberal reporters yeah. who were trying to get their heads around the use of this. But I mean, I just, I, I, that it bothered me so much more, his comments about saying how racism is in America's DNA. Because if you take the way he talked about it seriously, he's talking about it, you know, that somehow all of our institutions are poisoned by racism that it's never going away, that it's permanent, it's a genetic inheritance. Um to a certain extent I think he's right, but he's right about the human race, that these kinds of things exist everywhere. Um I I just like that stuff, but other than that, I I I just thought it was I mean in some ways it was almost like Obama was trolling people. Yeah. You know, trying to get them to sort yeah. of get whipped up about it. He's good it. at
1: that, isn't he? I he mean is. he actually does a good job at that.
2: Yeah, not only is it part of the human condition, what always drives
3: me crazy about this is that you know, liberals who like to pose as being great cosmopolitans, which means they've seen, you know, a hotel room in Amsterdam and a hotel room in Paris Same. and okay. taken a tour in Rome, never appreciate how much more intense it is basically everywhere other than the United States. Yeah. Uh, you know, I lived in India for a long time, which has just intense, intense racism and also, you know, sort of color discrimination to the extent that people burn and disfigure themselves horribly, trying to bleach their skin to uh, become, you know, whiter looking, uh, you know, Japan, France, Brazil, Mexico, just off the top of my head, all so much more intense on that sort oh, of stuff Africa. than the, in the United States. Africa's well, yeah, intense. of course.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, I have no segue now. I'm just going to just it, go ahead. Yeah, so sorry. Yeah. It just it reminds me of that the scene in the Simpsons where,
2: uh, the kids are running around, and they're convinced that they're being that they're being chased by, um, or that they're evil kids from Shelbyville, which is the neighboring town, yeah. coming by. <laughs> right. And, and Millhouse finds a candy wrapper, and he's like, "Ah, those Shelbyville kids—they like—they like their candy. They like it for the sweet, sweet taste. Like <laughs> 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 yeah, society right. has these kinds of divisions." But somehow, it's a kind of solipsism. And, and but, On the flip side, I, Kevin, I will say that it's one of the great things about America, because we're a country based upon certain creeds, that we flip out about these things rather than take them for granted. But I just think we've kind of got this autoimmune disease where we take it too far now.
3: Yeah, we're civilized enough to feel guilty, which is, you know, good for us. But, uh, you know, the thing that sort of cripples us, I think, and, uh, I mean, obviously our, our legacy on slavery and, Discrimination is something that we have to bear in mind, but we get so crippled by the things that we've done wrong that it really does blind us. I think to our, our our strengths. And one of the things I've always admired about France, and Charlie and I talk about this a lot because we're both both Francophiles in our in our way, which is in spite of you know France's historical mm-hmm. failings of various kinds over the years, they never apologize for being French. You know, you run into Americans anywhere in the world, including in the United States, and they're all, oh, you know, we're so embarrassed. We're Americans. You know, we don't we don't speak Swahili. Sorry. And uh, yeah, the, the French, they don't care. They're happy to be French. And I wish we had a bit more of that in our national character than we it's do. It's
1: actually even worse than that. I find that when you're talking to people about uh, slavery and, and racism and racial violence that is occurring in other places, they are almost always trying to figure out a way in which – it originally came there, got there from America. It had or, or to be, From asked. the West. Yeah. It had right. to be, yes. So the, the Hutus and the Tutsis who've been slaughtering each other for a thousand years, they learned it from some white guy. The, uh, the, the light-skinned Egyptians who've been uh, marauding and massacring the dark-skinned Egyptians must have learned it from some white guy. Um, the Chinese, the Han Chinese who believe that they are better than the jungle Asians down in the south must have learned it from some white guy. That's not natural for any other sort of naturally occurring humanoid it had to have come from the West. It had to have come from some uh some cultural institution that we all we all hold dear. It it can't be it's a very strange kind of reverse perverse paternalism. It's not yeah. colonialism, it's sort of like we even colonized your hatred. We're sorry about it. We're so yeah. sorry about everything you're doing. We even claim that as our own. And almost a very, literal very paternalism
3: thing. because yeah. what it reminds me of is that, you know, famous marijuana commercial, I learned it by watching you, Dad. <laughs> <That's> exactly-
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which well, was, so that,
2: yeah. I was in, as a luck or happenstance would have it, I was in Charleston for a week, about 10 days before this horrible thing happened. And I'd never been to Charleston before. Oh, I was there,
1: city.
2: hunkered away, working on, on my book. And I loved it. It's a, it's, I mean, I, I'd rather go there in the fall when the weather's a little more my kind, my kind of weather. You know, I'm a, I'm descended from a desert people, but we like a dry heat. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it's a beautiful old city. It's got this great food culture. Yeah. And one of the things that I was so struck by was on the in the tours and in the in the, the the this big central market that they've got this open and honest sort of embracing of their own history of slavery. It was Charleston was a horrible slave port.
1: It was and,
2: um and they talk about it openly, and it's it's in the art, it's in the food, it's in all the little write-ups of things. You know, they talk about this, this culture is not hidden away. And what I thought was so interesting is, you know, they had that church service, everyone is freaked out that, you know, that, and, and I have to admit that the, the speech that, that the, the reverend gave, this reverend um, I guess his name is Goff, gave really was a, an amazing thing. But um, uh, it, what, what I'm getting at, what, what, what drives me crazy is that that you know, Charleston has been, has been, has a huge black population. It's been, it's rated the fourth best place for African Americans, fourth best city for African Americans to live in, in the country. And it's got this culture where they've dealt with their facts and their reality really, really well. And yet what you get from these sort of, from people outside of the South is this lecture about, um, understanding. Both sides really need to understand each other. And it reminds me of like the, the, Jack Wads, who talk about if only the Palestinians and Israelis understood each other. You know, <laughs> yeah. They watch each other's TV shows. They work together. They, they understand, understand each yeah. other. <laughs> people who say, those, you know, warring, warring tribe A versus warring tribe B need to understand each other. What they're really saying is I don't understand either of them and I don't know anything about their differences. And you get that all the time about people talking about different parts of the world. And if only you could have more understanding, people wouldn't hurt each other. It is a fact of life that the only people who tend to kill each other are people who understand
1: each other right. really, really well. Uh, Irish Protestants and Irish Catholics who live across the street, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The uh, the the former citizens of Yugoslavia who live uh, live blocks away the minute the totalitarian states lifted they go after each other. That's yeah. exactly right. I would just say two things part- about Charleston. One, one is that Charleston's one of the most integrated cities in the country, much more integrated than Los Angeles or New York. If you oh. go to the fancy restaurants and Charleston's got some of the best restaurants in the country. At least one, one of them, I think, is one of the best restaurants in the country. If you go and sit there, you'd see not only an integrated dining room, you see integrated tables, which is something yeah. you never ever ever ever, ever see in Los Angeles or New York or San Francisco or any of these cities that sort of pride themselves on their progressive racial attitudes. Uh, the Washington. second thing is like half the people writing these articles in the New York Times, the Washington Post uh, and doing media stories at CNN, etc., they don't go to church. So they don't understand church. Everyone in Charleston, black and white, goes to church. Church is a very, very big part of civic life. So the the, the um, the the sacrilege, I mean, I, there's probably a better term than but the, the, literally the the violation and the sacrilege that took place in that church, hit everybody very very hard, black or white. But of course, you don't really notice that. This is kind of like weird, slight cutesification of the black church you get from sort of white liber- white secular liberals who don't go to church themselves. So for them, it's all kind of nuts. Like these guys are kneeling and standing and praying and always oh, in this wonderful and authentic. Well, you can probably see that at an Episcopal church in Manhattan. Yeah. Uh, But they don't go, so they don't know. So it all seems kind of strange to them, and wonderfully um, cultural and authentic, uh, which is uh, Again, another bizarre thing. Fact of 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 their disconnect to the American people, the great heartland that I, unlike Kevin, um, (laughs) Uh, what else drives me nuts
3: about this this particular discourse is that um, you know the lectures about you know we need to have more of a conversation about. Racism to ensure these things don't happen and change of institutions and all that. Now, South Carolina being South Carolina, unless there's some sort of freakish thing, maybe having to do with an insanity plea or something, this guy is going to get as much justice as the law allows for. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be ugly. And uh, I mean, it's going to be just, don't get me wrong, but it's going to be unpleasant to suffer. The, you know, when George W. Bush was running for president and there were those scurrilous attacks having to do with the uh, lynching of James Byrd in Texas when Bush was governor, people said, well, this tells you what Bush is like. Like, you know, he signed death warrants for those guys. What is he supposed to do? Kill them twice?
1: Yeah. Right. And then, and then when he said that, then they, they attacked him for saying it. Oh, yeah. so you're happy you killed those guys? Well, well you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we go on, change of subject. To mattresses. Mattresses. <laughs> Casper Mattresses is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. The mattress industry has inherently forced consumers into paying notoriously high markups. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing the savings directly to the consumer. This is something that Kevin. This feels like a, a Kevin Williamson uh, cover piece. Why should you buy a Casper <laughs> mattress online? Three, way, three reasons: quality. A Casper mattress provides resilience and long-lasting supportive comfort. Casper mattress is one of a kind. New hybrid mattress combines premium latex foam with memory foam. They often cost uh, – low cost. Traditional mattresses cost well over $1,500, but Casper's cost between $500 for a twin, $600 for twin XL, $750 for full, $850 for queen, and $950 for king. Casper understands that buying a mattress online can have consumers wondering how this is possible. So convenience, buying a Casper mattress is completely risk-free. Casper offers free delivery and returns with a 100-day period. It's that simple. Statistically, lying on a bed for four minutes in a showroom has no correlation to whether it's the right bed for you and has gotten Jonah Goldberg arrested. That's why Casper has (laughs) turned the buying process into a risk-free experience. Casper understands the importance of truly trying out a mattress that in all reality you spend a third of your life on – Casper mattresses are obsessively engineered at a shockingly fair price. Just the right sink, just the right bounce. That's two technologies, latex foam, memory foam. They come together for better nights and brighter days. Risk-free trial, policy, and return. Try sleeping on a Casper for 100 days with free delivery and painless returns. And you know what? They're made in America. you got a special offer for listeners here today. Get $50 off toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com glop. And using the code GLOP at checkout, that's Casper, C-A-S-P-E-R dot com slash GLOP and the coupon code GLOP at checkout. And we thank Casper Mattresses for sponsoring this episode of GLOP Culture. Uh, they've been a great sponsor, by the way. They're kind of a cool company. I now see um, taxi cabs in New York City uh, with the, the sub tents, you know, those ad tents above them um, advertising those mattresses. So I guess the mattress industry is being disrupted along with everything else.
3: Uh, you know it's check. not going to be a cover story I don't think because I was telling you the last event we had together um I am not sponsored by Casper in any way I don't have any dog in that fight but I do have a Casper mattress and it is uh, terrific
1: Oh that's that's right you told me that I I forgot huh? that that's amazing is that that that's uh and did you order it was it painless
3: Yeah you know it's cool because they come on this weird sort of vacuum packing thing so it's <laughs> a great I have a big king size mattress but it comes in this little box like the size of like i don't know two shoeboxes or something It's this tiny little thing and you open it up and it pops out like uh some you know uh creature from a bad movie and it takes a second to uh sort of refill itself out but um you'll never get it back in the box but it's, no, it's, right. it's so
1: you don't want really to be stuck in good. an elevator with your mail and think oh, i'll just open this box to see what's right. in there make and sure then- you've got <laughs> it where you want it before yeah. you right. uh before you open uh, it up. Another so, yeah, great
2: resource for practical jokes that way, right?
3: Yeah, game. it
1: really is. <laughs> open in a small space. Uh, go, go into the airplane bathroom and open. Um, that would be hilarious. You, and you'd so, go to no for it. So, fellas, I have an iPhone, okay? And on my iPhone, I have the New York Times app, and it sends me notifications, And it's been a pretty big day of news. So let me just – can I just go through the notifications? The notifications, the New York Times, I guess editorial, new media staff, whatever, think it's worth sending – push notifications to my phone. They flash up on my phone. So uh, 16 minutes ago, the Senate hands a victory to Obama on the trade pact. That's pretty big news, right? Mm -hmm. Obama expected to drop prosecution threat for families who ransom hostages. Okay. Maybe not breaking news, but sort of interesting. Uh, South Carolina governor calls for removal of Confederate flag. That was big news. UN report on Gaza finds both Israel and Palestinian militants may be guilty of war crimes. Sort of interesting. And then U.S. defeats Colombia to advance to quarterfinals of the Women's World Cup. Wait, I heard somebody laugh. It It wasn't me. (laughs) <laughs> why were you laughing Kevin you don't think that's breaking news one of these things is not like the others <laughs> so. you don't think that's breaking news you 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 dissent
3: now okay I, as we talked to a couple of times about today I, I did grow up in in Lubbock Texas and one year the Texas Tech women's basketball team won the national uh, championship so you know we named a street after the coach And people really kind of follow women's sports there, particularly women's basketball, um, as a consequence of this. Nobody cares about the Women's World Cup. No one in the whole world cares about the Women's World Cup.
2: Uh, Jonah, are you there? You know, know, Rob, you 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 don't have to play the role of interviewer here. You can... You can you can leap in and it doesn't have to be. I can leap in? S- okay, <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'll tell you. You clearly I'm, have an
1: agenda you, here. Yes, I do have an agenda. I was uh, sitting somewhere and my phone buzzed and I I, I thought I thought I think that the New York Times should only buzz me when something in world or or national importance happens, not when they think there's something that's happening that they know I'm bored by, but they think I shouldn't be bored by. Right. Exactly. That's exactly what was going on here. Like, yeah, with the uh, women's soccer and um, a move to the quarterfinals. It has everything these people think is wrong with America as a corrective measure. I'm not interested in women's sports. I'm not interested in soccer. So you know what? We're going to tell you all the news you need to know about the Women's Soccer World Cup. I don't even call it soccer anyway. It's it's football, right? Football. Fancy, right? That that just – for some reason – Considering all the things there are in the world that could bug me, that bugged me the most the, the past 36 hours. I, I yes, I, I I think
2: you're absolutely right. <laughs> um, you know, do, do you get like the latest charts on world music? You know, like, <laughs> no, but <you> know, <laughs> yeah, but, um, <laughs> I mean that's sort, of, that's sort of like one of my peeves against the New York Times is New York Times fancies itself as the newspaper of the world,
0: mm. and it's
2: like so cosmopolitan. And the thing that drove me crazy was when uh, the New York Times, which also claims to be the hometown newspaper of New York City, um, editorially rooted for the Boston Red Sox to beat the New York Yankees and break the curse of the Bambino, which in a more enlightened time would have caused New Yorkers to burn down the offices of the New York Times. (laughs) Um, But they did it. You know, with, Also, without disclosing that the New York Times company had a partial ownership stake in the Boston Red Sox. Um, okay. But it's just sort of this lack of attachment mm-hmm. to what your own community cares about in, in the name of some higher ideological cosmopolitan citizen of the world good. They want the world to care about soccer. And yeah. they have this, you know, this sort of field of dreams attitude of, if we report it, they will come. And it's You're, just di- not true. Jenna, that's
3: why the the sort of archetypal New York Times headline is micro lending program in Indonesia off to rocky start. You know, (laughs) it's one of these things they really think you ought to care about, but but nobody actually does. You know, I I was for a long time a a newspaper editor, not a newspaper the size of the New York Times, but, you know, several uh, smaller American newspapers. And so we would always do these readership surveys and you would ask people, you know, what they wanted in their newspaper. And then you would do a survey about what people actually read in the newspaper. And people would always tell you the same things they wanted, which is what they thought they were supposed to say, which we want more international news, Mm -hmm. more in-depth coverage, you know, more book reviews, this sort of stuff. But if you look at what people actually read, it's obituaries, sports scores, letters to the editor.
1: Yeah. Uh, Years ago, HBO, um, they've evolved. But when they first started, they kept thinking, "Okay, people are going to. People are, are paying us extra money on their cable bill to watch movies so they don't have to rent movies. And then they would survey the public and they would say, well, the, the, the subscribers, what do you like? And they'd say, we like movies. We like the movies. And then they had some original – the original shows on, even The Sopranos, even during the, high, the heyday of The Sopranos. And they'd say, what do you – why do you get HBO? And they'd say, because I love The Sopranos. But the number of people who said they loved The Sopranos, they watched The Sopranos was much lower than the number of people who were uh, sorry, it was much higher than the number of people who were actually watching it. The number one show on HBO for the its first like incarnation, really up until I think, I think Game of Thrones was um a show called Real Sex. <laughs> I knew it. And then yeah, right after cool. that, the number two was a show called Taxicab Confessions. Yeah. Which was uh, you know, Real Sex is basically softcore Taxi Cab Confessions was kind of like weird, dirty talk in a ca- taxi where you would be in the backseat of a cab, and your cab driver would put you in a show, show and and then and ask you questions, and they would film you. Uh, that those were the number one shows.
2: Yeah, but on Real HBO. Sex was like the worst softcore porn ever. <laughs> well, I'll take I mean, it, like, it, It's usually like these. Uh, I'll use a Yiddish right. phrase since John isn't here. These zoftig women uh, <laughs> <laughs> with you know what is it, it putting like condoms on a cucumber and talking dirty and doing like body oil massage mm-hmm. and you're like come on i'm gonna get in trouble with my wife if she catches me watching this and i'm getting nothing from <laughs> no, this you know? right although right. I, to hbo's
3: credit though they eventually figured out how to do softcore porn in a really compelling way mm-hmm. which is add dragons
1: yeah <laughs> exactly. that's right it's I, true exactly everything's right. better with dragons Everything's better with dragons. Well, that's but but the point is that people what people say they want and what they actually want uh, their 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 actual behavior is are two different things, and so you always run into trouble. I always tell the same story about uh, Burger King um, years ago did this great spent millions of dollars trying to compete with McDonald's on one product, which is the French fry. They discovered yeah. that McDonald's French fries were the key decider in whether you went to McDonald's or, or Burger King. Um, uh, and so they, they competed with McDonald's trying to come up with a better fry and they, they they think they did. They spent millions of dollars coming up with a fry. They tested it. Thousands and thousands and thousands of focus groups, thousands and thousands and thousands of tests all over the country, all different ages. Um, and their their fry they came up with always tested better. It was always more popular. And so they launched it for this giant launch and they, they knew they had a winner because they had proved it. Um, the only problem with the French fry is that people actually didn't prefer it. When it came right down to it, they did some, – for some reason, the, the, the stats were wrong or they asked the question wrong or, or people just kind of prefer – even even if you gave them a different fry from McDonald's fry, they still kind of prefer the McDonald's fry even though they knew that the person testing them was testing for the new fry. So They kind of wanted to make that person happy. So they don't like this fry <laughs> and Burger King lost huge market share because of it. And they, no one could figure out why because statistically they had proved they, they, they couldn't be wrong, right? It was, it was the new Coke of French fries. It's the new Coke of French fries. Uh, it, everything about it was great and more popular except for the fact that it wasn't that good and wasn't popular. You know, I
3: was When I used to work at Burger King, that was actually a topic of debate there among the yeah. uh, various Burger King uh, flunkies of which I was one, which is why McDonald's fries were uh, so much better.
2: I'm, I'm convinced because they're made from soil and green. <laughs> what 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 was your what, what did you what did you guys come up with? Uh well actually I think I know what the
3: answer to the question is. Um at least it used to be. Uh, McDonald's coats their fries in sugar, which makes them brown more nicely.
1: Really?
2: Yeah,
3: they coat them in a sugar solution.
1: Oh, interesting.
2: Um are we gonna talk uh are we gonna save Game of Thrones wrap up for when no. John gets back?
3: I don't know no. if Kevin I, I thought we just racked it up with the porn thing.
1: <laughs> no, let's – we should do it. But but I, I will start simply with a confession uh-huh. or an admission I should say. Um, I made fun of it and didn't like the dragons. I thought the dragons were stupid. I didn't get it. Uh, I didn't understand the whole point of the dragons. It seemed kind of way out. Um, you now like the dragons. And wait, can I just – let me finish. All right, all right, all right. And, and people like Jonah Goldberg – not people like Jonah Goldberg, but Jonah Goldberg said, well, then you're an idiot because that's the whole point of Game of Thrones. If you don't like dragons, you can't that, – that's part of the world. So you're not allowed to just just pick and choose. And um, and then in the last – second to last episode, uh, this dragon flew in and like blew fire everywhere and it was awesome. So I'm basically I'm totally wrong about dragons. And you, Jonah, were totally right about the dragons. Uh, well,
2: I, I think you're misremembering my position on it because I mean, I, I actually like all the War of the Roses stuff better than the magic. I like dragons because dragons are cool, but um, um, I think there's too much. I, I think the magic stuff is kind of like cheating. But um,
0: well, I, like I agree. The I
2: agree. But yeah. the, but the, it was cool when that dragon flew in. Yeah, the, that was awesome when the dragon was. And I, it, I, what I really liked was when the dragon said. Screw that noise. I want to go to sleep now. Time for a dragon I like them, the dragons it's they, you know, they're, they're kind of dog-like that way, you know. I'll, I'll help you out if I'm not tired.
3: <laughs> yeah. Although I do like that the dragons are sort of uncontrollable on yes. Game of Thrones, which I think is sort of an important uh, point. You know, my, my one sort of – I didn't watch Game of Thrones when it first came out. I started watching it maybe a year ago and then caught up. But I saw a play with a—is her name Amelia Clark? Is that right? We've
1: got to get that. Yeah, whose phone I'm sorry. is that? <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: who's
1: who, uh, who that again? Amelia. Clark? Uh, the uh, Khaleesi, Amelia Clark
3: is that her? Oh name? yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, and yeah she yeah. was in Breakfast at Tiffany's uh, on Broadway, and she was just terrible. But um, there's a scene where she gets into a bathtub, so she's naked on stage for like half a second. Tell me and- more. And people stop and, like, the show almost comes to a grinding ha- halt because people start taking pictures, you know, flash photography. No, really? But, I mean, just terrible, typical, terrible New York City theater audience. But I thought, you know, why on earth would you bother taking a picture of this woman naked? She is naked on television every week. I mean, there is no shortage of naked pictures of this woman in the world.
1: Hold well, on, but, you know, you want, you, want, you want one that you took. You know, you want the one... You want it the way you want it, right? Your
3: blurry cell phone picture across the stage from row EEC thirty six at the whichever theater it was in New York. I don't know. I just don't get it. But I think it's not about the
1: image; it's about the experience, right? It's like I I was there. Like you can kind of close your eyes. But I don't get about this stuff
3: uh, when people take pictures of things all the time because then it becomes not about the experience. It becomes about mediating the experience. So you're not actually seeing her, you're taking a picture. So you're getting a digital image of this woman naked of which there is no
1: shortage in the world. You should tweet that. That's great. You should tweet that. That's too long to tweet. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But it's true. That's right. I do. You see, if you walk around a place, you can see people taking pictures of the thing and taking pictures of themselves in front of the thing, but not really experiencing the thing. I find that in right. restaurants all the time. You go to a great restaurant uh, or a hip restaurant or a popular restaurant, and there are people taking pictures of the food everywhere. They're constantly taking pictures of the food. Uh, not even. I mean, how do you eat the food later? It's people a very say- strange thing.
3: People who take pictures of their food should be beaten by strangers. It should, be a ru- <laughs> it should be a rule that you're just allowed to punch someone in the face on the sidewalk in Brooklyn when they're taking a picture of their brunch on a Sunday morning. You should just be allowed to clock them.
2: Well, that that's, like a- my, yeah. that's my favorite expression, right, which I brought up on this podcast before. But it was one of these things that my dad sent me in an email. I mentioned it in the eulogy to him. The ancient Russian proverb that says, if you see a Bulgarian in the street, beat him. He will know why. <laughs> um, you know um, dad should be allowed to go up and, and just punch people In the back of the head when they're taking a picture of their
1: food With a shovel <laughs> <laughs> um, Hey uh, fellas Anything else you want to um, um, uh, and, and Joan are you, are you appearing anywhere In the next couple weeks Um Hmm
2: I don't not, No place that anybody would be interested in I am going to be on special report on Wednesday
1: night Uh And uh uh that's about it really. That's about it. Uh, Kevin, what about you? Do, are you on the speaking tour? Do you do speeches and
3: stuff? I do quite a bit of that stuff. I'll be at uh Freedom Fest in Las Vegas here in a couple of weeks debating about whether the American dream is dead. Um I will be saying no.
2: Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. I, hey,
3: I would pick,
1: I I would have picked you to say yes, but go ahead. Here's a serious
2: question which I'm sure yeah, I could probably ahead. just do off, but the ads for Freedom Fest keep calling the keep plugging this dream debate yes. between Steve Moore and Paul Krugman. Yeah. And I cannot tell from the ads. I cannot believe that Paul Krugman would 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 debate Steve Moore. I have no
3: idea whether Paul Krugman's actually going to be there because one of the other debates that's being advertised is someone debating the ghost of Christopher Hitchens.
2: Yeah. So it's it's just a really strange kind of ad and uh I don't I, I don't you know they've never invited me uh but uh I just I have no ill will towards them. Lots of my friends go there, but, um, you know, if- I, I have a feeling that there may be a
3: proxy Krugman there. I see. Like someone reading from a book or something. Although I don't know for, for sure. I, don't, I have no idea, <laughs> no inside information there, but I'm with you. I would be
1: shocked if Paul Krugman actually showed up. Well, it's Las Vegas. There's probably a lot of Krugman imitators, you know? Like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, like Elvis <laughs> imitators probably run around, you know, you can always get one of them on the off night. You know, Krugman in Vegas is just a concept that by itself. <laughs> is kind of a hoot. Yeah, yeah. And I like how we're we're saying Krugman not Krugman. Um, hey Rob, do you have anything yes. coming
2: up that
3: you want to?
1: Tell I got us nothing. About? Are you kidding me? I got nothing. Um, <clears throat> I got a big drive back to LA with a dog. Excellent. Uh, and then I'm uh, gonna be. I got to go back to work. I got to work, and I got uh, then I'm then I'm flying to Seattle to do the uh, National Review cruise. Which Kevin, you'll be on, I assume.
3: Yeah, so we're all going to Alaska. We'll all be so on the cruise. Be, yeah, uh, we'll
1: should all be all to
2: Alaska.
3: Yeah. And You know, last time National Review went to Alaska, right? That was uh, when they uh, met Sarah Palin, and that's right. Decided to recommend her as a vice presidential candidate. So what
1: could possibly <laughs> what could possibly go wrong with the trip to Alaska? Um, hey, this was fun. I wonder. Um, you know, I, here's here, here's <laughs> uh, we've been we've been uh, having this podcast about an hour, so we're ne- we're now at the end, and so I can say. With confidence, to one of our listeners, hi John. Like <laughs> <podcast>? <laughs> hey John. Hey John. Uh, we, uh, uh, Kevin. Thank you for sitting in for John Padoritz, the great John Podoritz, Uh sure. and you, you did, you were, you, you ably, ably held his chair without, um, without, uh, without just giving us a pale Pedoritz imitation. Which
3: well, you know, I, I have to leave a message for Pedoritz, by the way, which is, yeah. I denounce you.
1: <laughs> exactly um, Joan as always I'll see you guys uh, a couple weeks in in Seattle we'd like to thank uh, the great courses for sponsoring this podcast along with Casper premium mattresses and a Casper a satisfied Casper customer uh, Kevin Williamson is right here um on the podcast as well uh, and of course ricochet.com please go to ricochet.com sign up for the daily shot uh, it's a great uh, daily thing in your e- email inbox gives you sort of a crib sheet on the day's news and some funny stuff to say about it later to pretend that you came up with it yourself which is the whole point point. and um, uh, subscribe to the super feed you can hear all our podcasts including, including the Kevin the podcast that Kevin usually does with Charlie How, don't you, are you guys doing that weekly now? Uh, we're doing it a couple times a week so oh better we typically try to do it three times a week thrice weekly so um, the best way to get that is to sign up for the Ricochet super feed go to the ricochet.com site and it'll tell you how to do it uh, fellas see you soon
0: Oh, cool. right. talk to you later pop the magic dragon lived by the sea and frolicked in the autumn mist in a land called Hanali little Jackie paper loved that And brought him strings and sealing wax and other fancy stuff Oh, Puff, the magic dragon, lived by the sea And frolicked in the autumn mist in a land called Honolulu and land called Honnally. Together they would travel. Ricochet. To
3: <laughs> Join the conversation. Kept a
0: lookout perched on Puff's gigantic tail. Noble kings and princes would bow whenever they came. Pirate ships would lower their flags when Puff roared out his name.